Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com and use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit. Endo Decoded Report, Personalized Cannabinoid and Terpene Suggestion, Endo Aligned Product Matching in Your State, Suggested Dosage Guidelines, and Optimum Methods of Administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeca Soft Gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeca Unwind created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. The Eckstein case is, oh my gosh, it's 2 p.m. on a Wednesday, and that's why you're here for Cannabis Legalization News. Hi, I'm Tom. Hey, it's Miguel. And what happened uh, What happened in your neck of the woods this week? Because I found out something about hemp in uh, Indiana that I think is res- just just stupid. Well, uh, you know, Seattle Hemp Fest is still fighting for the rights to, to, to live. Um, the most recent uh, debacle for them is Expedia. The uh, Expedia Travel, they recently bought a building at the uh, one end of this mile and a half stretch that he- Seattle Hempfest occurs on in the park. And right. now they're denying Seattle Hempfest access to the parking lot where they, for the past 27 years, have unloaded and loaded uh, guests into this park. Seattle Hempfest tries really hard to keep a flow of traffic and be a good citizen. And so the fact that Expedia is pretty much giving them a hard time, it's pretty messed up. Well, isn't Expedia like a, they, they do bookings and stuff, right? They're a travel destination website where you book a vacation, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's what it is. It's just a, a, a .com, a, a website that happened, but, uh, you know. So, like, bought- is, is, the, is uh, Hempfest isn't the, the draw that it used to be, so people just aren't booking their travel through Expedia to go to Hempfest enough, or is uh, Expedia, which is weird, you're well, in Seattle, that- Washington, why wouldn't you be uh, anti-hemp? Well, isn't that the irony, though, too? I mean, uh, uh, Seattle Hempfest brings in about 200,000 people a year. People, not dollars. 200,000 people. people in three days. And, and you think probably a good 100, 200 are using Expedia. I would imagine so. I mean, there's, there's a bitter irony here right now. Yeah, a travel company is shutting down uh, a destination event. That sounds like the other bitter, bitter irony that came out of Indiana uh, and it's a new law. So let me just share my screen here. Uh, and this, this uh, Indiana companies challenge states ban on smokable hemp. So Indiana has basically the worst uh, industrial hemp law in the country, which is really, really silly because it literally uh, legalizes kind of uh, industrial hemp, but prohibits the um, prohibits the smokable hemp flower. And so, you know, how laws go into effect usually at the first of the year or like halfway through the year on July 1st. And so on July 1st, they had this new change to their uh, industrial hemp law in Indiana where they banned smokable flour and smokable flour is some of the highest quality stuff in the um, CBD hemp world right now. I mean, you can have your extracts and your tinctures and your isolates and your, you know, your rubs and all that stuff, but it's the hemp flour that you can sell like wholesale for $350 a pound. There may be even more depending on if you're a really, really high quality grower and that they would make it a crime to have hemp flour and then still say they have industrial hemp is ridiculous. And it's not only ridiculous, according to this lawsuit, they say that it's uh, unconstitutional. Well, the Indiana const- the law would be unconstitutional at that level because of the supremacy clause. You can't say that it's a federally legal substance and then completely criminalize it. But we will see what happens. Um, that's kind of it, it, okay. What's that? I think that's kind of bitter irony how Indiana is kind of regressing their laws, whereas 
Arizona, of all places, has just approved that uh, uh, police officers can consume CBD. Oh, my gosh. That is the other thing. You know, that's uh, one of the also the things that I. Uh, oh, crap. My uh, my my computer's a little buggy, which isn't all that great. So how come they they weren't able to consume CBD earlier? I mean, it's it's Arizona. CBD has been lawful for six months. Well, I think just the fact that the 0.03 THC uh, proved or, you know, anytime you mention the word THC, you're going to have uh, questions. You know, uh, I told my son who's about to travel to college, you know, he grew up in this liberal paradise, I guess, of uh, Seattle where cannabis is everywhere pretty much. But uh, I was like, rule of thumb, when you leave the state, everything's illegal. Like everything's illegal. <laughs> you know? Out of Seattle, everybody's nuts. They criminalize everything. For example, okay. it's. Let's talk about how they uh, they criminalize certain aspects of this. And then so you said they grew up in Seattle. And if that's true, uh, how come, you know, in, in uh, Illinois and the reason why this is in a separate browser is because if you want to get around those counters, you go to an incognito window and then you can read the news for free. Uh, so Illinois is wondering whether to limit the legalize uh, and the potency of their pot because of the increased increased scrutiny after its links to psychosis. So I'm assuming and I could be wrong on this. But I am. Uh, I'm. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, your kid is totally nuts, and that's oh, uh, just because he had that access to this this high quality marijuana as he was growing up. Yeah, it's not the hormones or the fact that being a teenager sucks, anyways. It's got to be the access to the cannabis that's been around him since he's was a baby. It's exactly how Hitler got started. <laughs> hey, uh, so what's going on with Congress? What are the, the, the scheduling hearing? Oh, my gosh. Yes, that is another one of the few things that you guys need to hang out for a few more minutes. First, we're also going to have uh, Amy Moffat, a Colorado attorney coming on, cannabis attorney, to discuss where their state is. But right now or earlier today, probably uh, on Capitol Hill, Congress people had a hearing about the descheduling of THC or marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act. And then, of course, just to do the real quick recap on federal law, you have two types of cannabis legally. Uh, federally. And so that is marijuana, which is defined as all cannabis containing more than 0.3% THC, and then industrial hemp, which is uh, the other 112 cannabinoids uh, or, you know, up to 0.3% THC. And then of course, THC, you mean Delta 9 THC and not just total THC. However, that being the case, they are having a discussion about how to drop uh, the rest of cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act. And I hope they do this five-point plan that I have. And, and point number one is you expand the defunding of the Department of Justice to, uh, currently it's all medical states. So the Department of Justice is effectively neutered when it comes to the federal marijuana laws for medical states. And in the budget, they have expanded that. I think that's the Blumenauer-McClintock Amendment that expands it to just say you're defunded from enforcing uh, the, fed, the federal marijuana law in contravention of a state law. So now the entire, uh, I guess, the entire drug war when it comes to marijuana will be defunded or stopped and effectively neutered in all the states that have allowed for adult use, which means that it's a lot more safe to actually be in Washington State or Colorado or after the first of the year in Illinois. After that, number two, you pass the Safe Banking Act, and that Safe Banking Act opens up uh, financial services to the cannabis industry that allows them to access these capital markets a little bit more. They can't go to uh, actual market, and by that, I mean the stock market just yet. That will require a full descheduling, but having bank accounts and being able to have certain, maybe some financial services when it comes to loans, perhaps, but, you know... Uh, a bank account would be great, so at least it's not a cash-only industry anymore. Well, that, yeah. What's that? Does that also? Well, this also includes, say, like the two hundred and eighty e issue or the two hundred and eighty e issue is going to be stickier because that is in the tax law IRC two hundred and eighty e, and that doesn't say marijuana or cannabis; it just says Schedule One. So uh, you're not going to change two hundred and eighty e; you're going to have to deschedule. So dispensaries are still going to have to pay the double tax that comes from not being able to deduct the cost of trafficking in their business. And that sucks. But if you have bank accounts and also you have federal protection regarding the defunding of uh, the Department of Justice from shutting you down, that allows the industry to mature so that the supply lines can be there 
for uh, going from seed to sale and the distribution can be uh, established and developed, especially out east uh, and in the Midwest. And that can take a little bit of time. And during that time, we can use the Controlled Substances Act and its prohibition almost as like a, a tariff, like a, a very strange tariff in the sense that we have locked out all people that want to import cannabis like Canada or Colombia or any other low cost producer until the, the systems are in place in our states uh, to be able to have our own industry. And then, then you can drop it from the Controlled Substances Act and everybody will be, you know, cool, hip and groovy, I guess. So either it gets dropped or rescheduled, say if it was scheduled to two or three, that would eliminate a lot of issues for the tax issues, correct? Uh, no, no. I think the way that IRC 280E is written is that it's if you're trafficking in a Schedule 1 or 2 substance. So you would have to drop it to a Schedule 3. Still doesn't make any sense why it's in a schedule whatsoever. It's not a drug. It's a plant. Right on. Yeah, so uh, Snyder keeps asking about Congress, but there's actually just debate in the whole situation right now about the whole... Uh, Yes, they're, they're debating the merits. They may also be discussing the substantive bills that are currently in and before them. Uh, some of those substantive, bill, substantive bills we've discussed, a lot of them have been discussed on this show. Uh, primarily, we're talking about, uh, it used to be Section 538 of the budget. I'm not sure what it'll be this year, but that's the defunding of the Department of Justice. And that has to be passed every year because that's how appropriations work. But also, then there's the Safe Banking Act, which would... Um, speak to the regulators and give more teeth to the FinCEN guidance that Treasury gave so uh, the banks can start lending and start allowing accounts uh, for these uh, legitimate cannabis businesses. Man, I, I really hope something happens. I mean, the more money flows into this, the more shit's going to happen momentum-wise. Yeah, but I mean, think about it practically speaking. I mean, if you just suddenly drop it, you have a vacuum and who's going to fill that vacuum. So if you slow walk it where it's like, all right, well, now you can't enforce those laws. Great. There's no money to enforce the laws. The banks are going to be a little bit more willing to lend. The states are going to be a little bit more willing to liberalize. And then what if you say, all right, not only can you not enforce it, but it's also OK to bank it. Same thing. It just picks up a little bit more steam. And these things do take time. I mean, how long did it take for Washington state to mature uh, from medical marijuana through uh, its adult use. Well, it was an amazing transition that, I mean, unfortunately, from a, uh, I guess, political perspective, it was kind of interesting and neat to watch happen. But from a uh, citizen's perspective, it was a horrible accident. But, I mean, you know, the, the, the medical side of things, the infrastructure was there for a good 15 years beforehand. So then when they created their recreational infrastructure, it slowly started melting together. And what happened was the recreational people saw the loopholes, saw the kinks that they were losing on, and they created the SB 5052, another bill that came out, I believe, two years following the original uh, legalization, and that was the nail in the medical's coffin. Uh, the, the Patients Care Act is what they called it, and it killed- Because in law, all bills are named ironically or in a way that creates an acronym that spells a word, like the Safe Banking Act. Ah, yeah, it's just an unfortunate way it happened, you know. Uh, but yeah, the transition though it was pretty much. I mean, because we already had infrastructure when it came to the culture and uh, people doing business in the medical side of things. That's that part was easy enough. In uh, I mean, we still have moratoriums. There's still people with reefer madness. There's still people who don't think that I can function as an adult. There speaking you go. of uh, speaking of the. The wealth effect, U.S. marijuana sales doubling to $22 billion by 2022. I'm assuming that's baking into the cake some of the Illinois legalization, but then also uh, maybe it's assuming, who knows, out east, if they get New York or New Jersey gets on board as well. And then it's always looked at the prism of these guys. Here's some of the big players. Curleaf, they make, I think that's um, gold leaf, Curleaf's. Cresco Labs, they're big in Illinois. MedMen, I don't think is as big in Illinois. Harvest Health, Anthus, or maybe Anthus is gold leaf. I'm not sure about that. But um, yeah, so you're talking about an industry that's about a double again. And you were just talking about how it took 
15 years for your medical industry and the supply chain issues that it had to develop and to mature before they could flip that switch into full adult use. And so you're going to see something similar. And that that supply chain that you're building, uh, that will I think that's why you're going to see controlled one uh, THC cannabis for the next three to five years as you defund uh, and take the teeth out of the law so that it's really just a paper tiger there. But it, it being a paper tiger, it's acting as protectionistly uh, so that uh, all of a sudden when it's legal, you don't have all this cheap uh, marijuana, I'm sorry, cannabis coming up from uh, Colombia and I, I don't know about I don't know about Canadian producers. They have they have to grow it all indoor. It could be tough. Well, now hopefully um, uh, Abby can help clarify this. But like with Mad Men, you know that that list of companies that you could uh, now there were stocks, right? That was IPOs. Oh no, those aren't IPOs. I like again. Remember, I'm not just a marijuana lawyer and bank lawyer. I'm also a stockbroker. And so um, back in 08, I, I got my Series 7 license on like October 25th or something. It's like whenever the market just really sold off and they were going to do the, the bailout for the banks. It was a terrible time to become a stockbroker. But the way that these suckers are traded is that they aren't registered with the SEC uh, to the same extent that publicly traded ones are. They're what they call OTC, the pink sheets, over the counter. Uh, that would be like your Wolf of Wall Street kind of stocks. Uh, they are notoriously... Um, illiquid in, in the sense that you know a very liquid stock would be apple uh blue chip stock and the s p 500 or like a you know, well we don't have to talk about indexes so uh that is a stock that you can buy and you can sell really really quickly and it's it's hard to get uh in a position that you can't get out of yeah but there's no um... how, how big they are and how liquid they are but with these small stocks uh, that are traded over the counter. Uh, I don't know what the market is, and it can be very difficult to get in or out. But also, some of them try to get listed on the stock exchange by going to Canada and filing in Canada. But then they have to be limited, like acreage holdings, for example. They have to be limited to uh, only being a Canadian operator, which you know it still kind of sucks. But well, those those IPOs will be the story of whatever year they're allowed to be. I don't know, 2024, something like that, uh, when you can actually take them to market because they've dropped uh, THC cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act. Well, no, no, that's what I'm curious about, because I thought like the ones, if there's any available stock, it was either a Canadian or Israeli company. There are no American companies that you can purchase stock from, right? Uh, like I said, that you can get them over the counter. So like that was Cresco right there, or MedMen, and they had tickers. And so you can buy them. They're just uh, not on uh, the stock exchange. And so they're they're on the pink sheets. They're penny stocks for uh, lack of a better description. I mean, you can go ahead and buy them. I just don't know how, you know, first off, they're going to be really, really volatile. And second, I don't know how well you could exit or enter the position. Oh, okay. So it's more like a, uh, an agreement with you and that company. Hi, Abby. Hey. hey. I'm Abby, here. thank you for coming on the show, uh, and that's why you guys all stuck around. Abby is a cannabis lawyer in Colorado, and I don't mean to introduce you any more than that. Why don't you introduce uh, yourself to everybody on the, on the uh, podcast? Yeah, yeah, of course. And sorry, my computer's having issues. I'm on my phone, but hopefully this works. It's got a video at least. Um, yep. But yeah, I'm a cannabis attorney in Colorado, Denver, do a lot of criminal defense, uh, there's still a lot of criminal cases for marijuana here. Uh, it's not totally legal, uh, but also do a lot on the business side. I've had super interesting cases dealing with public consumption issues, um, bud tenders being charged. Um, yeah, what are the bud tenders getting charged with? Yeah, in Colorado, it was last year, um, bud tenders were charged with what they called looping at recreational dispensaries. So you're allowed to buy one ounce at a time. And some- Oh, they got that type of limitation here. So it's a scam called looping. Fill us in on that. Yeah, that's what the, that's what the police dubbed it, looping. Um, so one person would come in, they'd buy an ounce, they'd go to their car, wherever, come back 15 minutes later, buy another ounce. So in retail sales, they couldn't keep track of the customers for privacy issues. So bud tenders didn't have a way to 
to know who was coming back if they were having a really busy day, except for just recognizing that person's face. And so the police charged the bud tenders as being complicit with these people who were coming in and possess buying more than they were allowed to possess. So they'd buy an ounce and then they'd assume that they'd be possessing more than one ounce because they'd have it in their car or their home or somewhere. So it was this really, it was kind of an out there theory, um, complicity, but six, six to nine bud tenders got charged. They got charged with felony. So it's a crime. That was my next question. Like, all right, yeah. so it's legal, but it's not legal. And what was the crime that they charged them with? Charged them with um, possession of marijuana, distribution of marijuana over four ounces. So it was a felony. Uh, so they, crap. Hey, Miggy, is yeah. this a similar thing that you have in, in Washington state? So in Washington, I mean, obviously the, the diversion argument that everybody bitches about, um, you know, we didn't have anything like that. No crackdowns. And, and Abby, correct me if I'm wrong. That was sugar leaf. That was the. Uh, it was called sweet leaf. Sweet leaf. The only time that was the only dispensary that this happened to. So it was an outlier. Um, but yeah, I think they used it to make an example. Actually, the owners eventually got charged. Yeah, they're spending a year in jail in prison right now for 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 their supposed diversion bullshit. Which yeah. uh, they mean, did, did they take that uh, you know brunt because of the butt tenders being charged? Were they just like, no, give me the the punishment, or was that just kind of like, okay, we see you as the uh, like a RICO charge. You're the one in charge. You're the one running the show. So, yeah, they. They actually, it was a Denver district attorney case, and then they threatened to charge the owners federally. Um, federally? First, yeah, this was the first time this had happened, uh, that they were going to charge him with distribution of marijuana, and so none of the constitutional protections from the Colorado Constitution, they'd argue, would apply. Um, See, that's something like we were just going over the news summary. And today they're having uh, a thing on Capitol Hill about the congressional hearing for descheduling. And that was one of the things that we were discussing was a trajectory toward uh, a, a Controlled Substances Act without the cannabis plant in it. And one of the things that I think might they, they need to happen, and, and this would this would speak to that exactly, uh, if they defunded and they passed the, uh, the Blumenhauer McClintock Amendment that defunds the Department of Justice from enforcing the federal marijuana, marijuana laws against any state that has state law compliant marijuana, would that uh, then be something that they could no longer do? Yeah, I think so. And I think we need that. I mean, they had the coal memo and then they took it back. Um, once yeah, but they also have case law for when they try to prosecute medical marijuana. It's the uh, McIntosh case from the Ninth Circuit back in 2016. And I think it was uh, uh, the one that's in Oakland uh, with Steve D'Angelo. He was one of the, the uh, defendants in it. And they had tens of thousands of plants, but there was no money to prosecute that uh, litigation because of the, the defunding. Yeah, I mean, that's what we need. And I, I thought that's where we were at in Colorado. But then we had the U.S. attorney come out and go. He did this radio blitz, basically, um, right before he stepped down and a new U.S. attorney took over, um, just saying that he, he's not going to let that happen in, the, in Colorado's regulated industry, that they needed to make an example of these people who are, aren't following the laws and the regulations. Um, but they eventually they were never charged or indicted mm. federally. They were just threatened with it. With yeah, but that's still that's still that bullying tactic. Yeah. Where they're just threatening. And I mean, like they've, they've done this before where they try to make an example. Have you ever heard of Lance Glore? Uh, yeah, I, I believe so. You want to refresh me? Lance was a, uh, a medical caregiver in Washington State. Uh, at the time when it was medical, he, he owned, I believe, like four dispensaries and, uh, and a garden. And Washington State couldn't put a case against him. So one agency collected evidence by um, getting a prescription and buying a normal purchase across the store and then took that evidence and handed it over to the DEA, who had to give it a, a federal, uh, uh, you know, a they had to charge him uh, because the state couldn't fucking put a case against him. You know, th this guy's only crime is to be a flashy kind of young guy. It's, that was his only his deal. You know, he make an example out of these flashy young guys. Mm -hmm. I swear, you know, out of successful business people, 
you know, that's the other thing about the marijuana stigma is, uh, you know, what do you mean you can't make a profit? I mean, you can make a profit off of Viagra pills, but you can't make a profit off of, uh, you know, yeah, that, that IRC 280E. I can't believe that. What do you mean I can't deduct the cost of my employees, my rent, my everything else that all these other businesses get to? It is great. So with Sweet Leaf, didn't Abby, um, weren't they trying to like also like kind of put some shade on them talking about how uh, perhaps they were cartel uh, involved? I didn't hear a lot of that, but they were, um, there was something about, they were about who they were invested in by different than the other four big companies in Colorado. Um, I'm not sure about the cartel connection, but it was just a shame because these bud tenders, they're working like, you know, $12 an hour. They're basically cashiers. Um, And they're trusting. They're they're cashiers, but they have like all. They have a knowledge of the flowers. They de- yeah, they definitely do, but they're not in charge of the business policies. They're just following orders from the owners, and the owners are taking it from the state. But what was crazy is that the state regulation said that you can only purchase an ounce in a single transaction. So that Ours be- said that too, and so yeah. like this looping thing, like if there's cops watching our program. Just taking notes. They're going to be like, oh, looping. I like this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure who watched your program. Um, (laughs) Just cops. Just cops. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But um, all these bud tenders got charged in 2017. Well, January 1st, 2018, they changed the definition um, to clarify that a single sales transaction means one per day. So you'd think that before that, it wouldn't mean that. Yeah. And clarified. Um, so it was really, it was a murky case. Um, well, how do you enforce that when you have multiple shops around you? What if I go get one ounce for one shop and go get, I mean, it's yeah. Not- yeah, you can. And I mean, we have a street called Broadway in Denver. You could walk to shop to shop and buy an ounce here and an ounce there and you wouldn't be able to enforce it. Yeah. And an ounce is kind of a bullshit limit. I mean, I've been to parties right. where, where, where a half a pound, people bring a half a pound for the party. Right. Well, it's kind of like bringing a handle of liquor, except the handle of liquor can kill you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's no limit on the liquor that you buy or the kegs that so, you So um, now you can give us uh, an update as to, like, what is new in uh, the marijuana, you know, scene in Colorado? Yeah, yeah. So there, there's three new things that I can really think of that have been going on that have been signed into law at the end of May. Um, one is allowing publicly traded corporations or allowing out-of-state money to come in and to invest in Colorado, which is something that's happened in California and other states, and it's just been limited in Colorado. And so, so like, did you guys actually, when you created your uh, statutory rubric, did you do, exclude uh, outside ownership? Is that why? You, like, if I wanted to have a license in Colorado, I'd live in Colorado? I think that's how it worked. Um, I'm not totally, I do think that that's how it worked. And you had to go through the application process. Um, I think it was something like if you had so much ownership in the company, you had to be in Colorado. And so it really limited investment for the bigger companies, but also, yeah, for the smaller companies for allowing them to grow. Um, So it's going to be able to add some capital to Colorado that's been, that hasn't been able to be there in the past um i think it yeah i think it did limit um any people living out of state so what are what are the couple of the other hot items yeah the other hot item is social consumption lounges that they're gonna allow um places where people can go to consume marijuana which hasn't oh my god shocking yeah right all these visitors and where are they supposed to consume you know like um, and like they go to the hotel and it says no yeah. smoking yeah you're not allowed to consume in the hotel um, you're not allowed they, to consume by colorado's uh, hotels no i mean i i'm sure there's some that might allow it but most of them don't it's um, actually written in seattle's raw where it's uh, discretionary for the hotels okay um, well neat. it can violate the clean indoor air act 
Oh. Uh, yeah, we have a similar one in Illinois, and they kind of wrote a little exception to the dispensary section of the law because it's like smoke-free Illinois law or something. And, and if you allow on-site consumption where you buy it, so at the dispensary, uh, you can make the rule so it'll be an exception to the smoke-free Illinois Act. Yeah, I think now this creates an exception for the Indoor Air Act, um, which is good. I had a case, we went to trial on uh, public consumption violation of the Clean Indoor Air Act for the International Church of Cannabis. And um, they had had a 420 event in 2017. They had made it a private event, which is how you structured it um, previously. Um, but some undercover officers were able to get in. And They're everywhere. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. But now this this will create a framework, you know, jurisdictions can opt in um, or choose not to participate. And that can certainly happen because many counties in Colorado and towns have opted out of having marijuana establishments. But now this will create a, a framework. It'll start, I think, January 1st, 2020, where they can start applying for these licenses and allow people to. You guys are going to monetize it a little bit more for the state. Uh, and we don't know what the rules are right now. I spoke to Jeff Cox earlier today. He's the guy in uh, Springfield, uh, the head of medicinal plants. And so he, I don't know what it's going to turn out to, but you can monetize and uh, charge an additional fee in Colorado coming up for this year for public consumption. That might be a new yeah. thing in Illinois one day. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other big thing is delivery services, which they're going to allow. Um, and same thing, they can charge a fee um, for that. And it's just going to, I think it's just connected with um, medical establishments, retail establishments, but in the future, they might be able to make some more third party, um, third party businesses that do delivery kind of like in California. Do you guys have uh, BYOB clubs? Any of you? Well, I know in Illinois, we don't because it's yeah. still totally illegal and it's not criminalized. So like you can have a club and try to skate under the thing, you know, medical yeah. patients only or three eighths of an ounce is all I have. And that's that's just a, a, a civil fine. Yeah. If you're a private club and you can come in um, and bring your own. Um, but those are kind of under the radar. And right. In Denver, they do have a social consumption law that allows for it, but it hasn't been implemented very well because of how heavily they've restricted it and the prohibitions they put about where it can be, how far it can be from certain things. And so it hasn't really fleshed out to be anything. And so hopefully this statewide um, attempt will be better. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, let's see here. The other stuff that they don't have in Illinois are those things with the uh, the delivery and the consumption they, they have built in. But um, can you tell us about like any amendments or like how how is the Colorado law? First off, I'd like to know if you guys call it marijuana or cannabis legislatively. And second, how is it opening up and changing? Because I that's one of the things that we talk about on here a lot is how uh, our marijuana laws, if nothing else, are a, a civics lesson in real time. Mm -hmm. um, we usually call it marijuana, although when I when we're in court, we call it cannabis because unless uh, unless the prosecutor can prove that it's above 0.3 percent THC. Uh oh. No, What's that? All right. Uh, let's see. Can you hear? No. Uh, I tell you, it's, this is the hard part with having a, a live show on YouTube. Uh, it's it's dependent upon Wi-Fi connectivity. I think the hamsters got tired. All right. The hamsters that run the Internet. <laughs> OK. All right. Just kind of get laggy there. Uh, OK. Yeah, I think. I'm All right. Try it again. Right. Try it again. Tell us about the updates now. Is it is it as a term of art? Is it like the marijuana laws in uh, Colorado? Because in Illinois, we call it cannabis. Yeah, they call it marijuana because we have the marijuana enforcement division. Um, uh, and that's what's regulating, you know. Point three percent. The plant. Right. OK, yeah. so even you guys have built in that level of stigma still, even though you have legalization. Yeah, yeah. And so that's a constant fight uh, when we have 
criminal marijuana cases I'm defending in court is educating the court about what is cannabis versus marijuana versus industrial hemp. Um, that if the prosecutor, and this is what I was trying to say when it cut out, but um, that the prosecutors need to affirmatively prove that cannabis is 0.3% THC or more to prove that, that is huge. And that is awesome in the sense that that's coming up now in Illinois because the firm that I'm at is as cannabis centric as you can get in the state. But uh, that, of course, means that you have uh, a great criminal lawyer in the firm as well. And the issue of being stopped as you are doing a shipment of high quality hemp flour through the state is coming up because you, you drive through some rural areas in the state, hemp flour, cannabis flour, uh, they look the same, they smell the same, the dogs alert the same. And I didn't know that there was a specific burden of proof in Colorado that they, the police must prove the, uh, the chemical consistency in a, over and above that 0.3% threshold. That is awesome. Well, it's part of the, it's what's written in the constitution. The definition of marijuana does not include industrial hemp. And then wow. we um, have industrial hemp is defined and it was defined clearly in the constitution as uh, must, uh, from the cannabis sativa plant, um, less than 0.3% THC. They just changed that through an amendment, amendment X, which was the last legislative, um, the elections, I think they were last year. Um, they changed it now that the definition for industrial hemp mirrors the federal definition, which mm. is the same, but, and we fought that a little bit. We wanted it to just be what it is, what had been voted on by uh, the people, what was in the constitution, because now um, the legislator can change it more frequently or easily. Um, but hey, hey, Miggy, is that the same kind of way that it works in Washington state when you guys do ballot initiatives? Cause you're going to have to inform me and the rest of the other 30 some States that don't do them. Uh, you put marijuana in the constitution. No, no, it's not in our constitution. Our constitution is more of a libertarian type statement. There's no specific, uh, like amendments towards alcohol or not that I know of. But how do you do these ballot initiatives? So like in Colorado, when you do a ballot initiative, does that impact the constitution? Abby? Uh, Abby? Yeah. Oh, um, I think we voted for a constitutional amendment. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I am, I'm from Iowa. I went to University of Iowa, University of Iowa Law School. So I came out here. In so you're catching up. Yeah, I've been here since 2015, <laughs> but I wasn't here for when um, the initiative was passed. But yeah, it was vote. It was voting for an amendment to the Constitution to legalize uh, recreational marijuana. Fascinating. So, no, so they, they don't have that. But that's that's interesting. And then of course it's the labyrinth. What do they call it? The laboratory of democracy. So you have all these different states that have different things that they can do. I mean, like here. In Illinois, you have to do it legislatively. You're not allowed to amend the constitution of the state of Illinois through a ballot uh, initiative like it sounds like you're able to do in Colorado to legalize it. But then it also sounds like in, in Miggy's Washington state, uh, the constitution is just a libertarian that uh, every now and then you guys, how do you handle the ballot initiatives then? What does that change? Well, that's what I was telling you before for, for us here, we're trying to get homegrown. Uh, the one thing that our law didn't implement was homegrown. We, you know, the, the legislator keeps telling us, well, it's not illegal to not homegrown, but yet it's not in the books. So it's technically, it's still illegal. So what we've been trying to do, we have to, just like everywhere else, kind of like we were talking before, we have to get uh, amendments signed through the, uh, the House and the Senate. And then when they merge as one, then that'll affect be a law for us, you know, or a rule, but not, but it's not an amendment to the Constitution. I was just looking at the Constitution, our Constitution. I, I uh, did a, a PDF search for uh, cannabis or marijuana. Nothing popped up. Again, it's all like your right as an individual and your safe space and all that, you know, you know, as a safe space, maybe like justice and equality and, and freedom with measure toward, you know, universal truth or something. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. peace to all. Yeah, I think it's all about privacy rights, too, and being able to decide what you want to do with your own space, your own body that doesn't affect anyone else. Uh, yeah. Yeah. My body, my choice. Right. <laughs> yeah, not in Illinois. In Illinois, it's more about like social equity. We are going to improve everything through using this thing that is currently a crime. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's uh, going to be great for like your state is setting a bar for, you know, the treatment of we're just getting around to it. We've had legalization for seven years, recreational, and we're just getting around to, to the social equity part. So well, is that a part in Colorado law or in Washington state law? Because I just did a video on the social equity aspect of Illinois. It's not. Yeah. All right, how about you guys in Colorado? Um, it's not in Colorado, but they are talking about making it part of it. And they it's kind of a scam. Like, well, well it's not. I mean, like it's it's noble. And by kind of it's uh, here's what it is in Illinois. You can be one of three things. First, you can have owner 51 percent ownership or control uh, by uh, an Illinois resident had, or Illinois residents. It's a company that um, have lived for the past five of 10 years in uh, a poor area. And like this poor area will be like, you know, you, you find the poverty levels that are kept on the national level and you look for like, you know, 20 percent of poverty levels and you see where these areas are. Or two, you have 51 percent ownership and control and you are one of the people who are eligible for the expungable offenses or a member of their family, which is millions of people because there's 800,000 people that are eligible for these expungable offenses of marijuana possession as it's provided in the law. And then anybody who's related to one of these people that got arrested. So, you know, right there, you can just at least double the number of people that are out there. Or three, it is a, a lawful adult use business that has at least 10 full-time employees that fit number one or number two. So basically they didn't really want to get some type of strange equal protection, you know, affirmative action, constitutional change or challenge to the law where they're saying like, hey, you're doing this clearly based on race. Instead, they said, no, no, we'll look at the poor neighborhoods and then we'll also look at the people that have been arrested for cannabis, which if you look at the data, that basically means that you're probably not me. Yeah. Well, you, the veteran aspect as well? Uh, the veteran aspect is there, but the points for veterans are much smaller. Ah. Do you anticipate challenges to that? Maybe from some of your... No, I, I don't. I anticipate... Uh, uh, that's why, it, look, the, the, there's justice to it, and it's, and it's a good thing to try to rehabilitate the uh, neighborhood's that you blighted intentionally blighted through this law for the past 80 years. That's, that's entirely uh, noble. And I'm glad that they're doing it. But then you see what they've done is the first two required ownership and control. And the third one just required a, a number of employees. So they're just going to use the third door and try to run a bigger business because then they can maintain ownership and control, but they're also, uh, diversity and social equity positive and that includes the the you guys are funding right the state is helping subsidize funding whatnot you need to be a qualified social equity applicant and so a qualified social equity applicant would be a social equity applicant that has been uh, awarded a conditional adult use dispensary license or a cultivation license and there's there's none of the cultivation licenses that are currently open maybe the rules will change that i don't know but with the dispensary licenses sure so the way that you could structure your application is if you're a social equity applicant is in such a way that upon your awarding of that license, you have six months in which to provide to the state your address. So you could then get the license, uh, prove the loan, do the build out and open. That'd be pretty nice. And you guys expect to go in business next year, right? January 1st? Uh, the, the large producers get into go into business on January 1st. So everybody who's operating now will be operating for, through uh, 2020. New players will start appearing probably in 2021. Are you guys uh, still prosecuting for cannabis? Oh, yeah. Because uh, uh, like that's one of the things that I, I was jokingly having a conversation with a possible client about. Like, hey, tell you what I'm going to do. Oh, shit. I'm not even sure if I can. I, I would have to go illegally buy weed. So not go to my medical marijuana dispensary, buy some shitty weed and then like call the police on myself. Like, you know, make sure that the amount that I have is the expungible offense amount and like call the police. And be like, I got it, man. Come get me just so I can get arrested so that I would qualify as a social equity applicant. Why not? 
<laughs> because it's disingenuous. That's why not. I, I'm busy, you know? Yeah, and hopefully they're not, the police aren't making it a priority anymore. Well, no, like that's what I said. I'd have to yeah, like have to literally walk into the police station with like an ounce or something. Be like, I bought this on the street, man. Over us to be, come on, I'm trying to get a loan. Oh, shit. So uh, are you involved, Abby, with the uh, the mushroom craze as well now? Um, I'm not really. Uh, we I've been following it, though, that it's decriminalized in, um, yeah. in Denver. I've had cases, though. Um, they're still prosecuting it in other counties. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, grows or um, manufacturing. Because Colorado is kind of conservative, right? I mean, like Denver is a fairly liberal place, but if you get outside of that, isn't it pretty, pretty buttoned down? It is, yeah. And we, and we practice. I practice all over the state. I had been a public defender first before moving um, into this cannabis firm, and I worked in Jefferson County, Colorado, which is more conservative, um, more law and order, I guess, and a, a few other jurisdictions like Colorado Springs. Um, they're not as much like Denver. Yeah. Well, you got a base. That's a base town too, though. Military town. Yeah. Uh, yep. Mm -hmm. But haven't the numbers shown that you guys are better off for it by now? That we're what? That your like your cities are better off for it as far as, uh, you know, reduced crime rates as you know, cause being cannabis is legal and that's less crime. I mean, isn't there some sort of statistics that these people can wake up to? You think? For, for mushrooms? No, no, for cannabis. I'm sorry. For cannabis. Yeah, yeah. For can I think everyone's gotten on board with cannabis for the most part. Okay. Um, but we do, a lot of my cases are cultivation um, of marijuana. If you have over your doctor's recommendation, if your doctor's recommendation is expired, um, and certain counties prosecute that differently than others. Interesting. So like the home grow is going to be and then uh, Washington State doesn't have it. And Miggy's just perplexed about that. But Illinois yeah. is going to allow home grow in five plants for uh, medical patients. And some of the um, uh, there's some exceptions to the law, like, you know, and I see some businesses that are trying to form as being consultants because like these patients, they don't know how to grow. It could literally be the first time that you're ever trying to grow cannabis. And, and so can you have a consultant as your designated agent to come in and like say, all right, here's how you do the rig. Here's some low stress training. You know, here's water at this, check the pH, those types of things. And I read the law and I'm like, you know, I, we're gonna have to see what the rules say, but it says that it has to be the person who lives at the residence or their uh, designated agents, such as when they're out of town. So, hey, man, I'm going out of town for the week. Uh, I got to go to the pool and, you know, with the kids. Uh, you want to watch my plants? Really? So you don't yeah. How do they do it in Colorado? Them? Well, in Colorado, you can have a designated caregiver. Um, and so they can grow the plants in their residence. But they changed the law January 1st here also, where you can only have um, 12 plants in your residence. 12 plants? You can only have five. Yeah. Well, before, you could have up to your doctor's recommendation, which was sometimes 99. 99 um, plants. Yeah. And so, um, uh, uh, Miggy, they don't allow any type of home grow cultivation at all in Washington State anymore. So, for medical, there is. There, if you're a medical patient, first off, you have to be uh, medical script. And then you're allowed, I believe, five plants. But if you want to do more than that, you have to register into the state's directory for 15 plants. And then, you know, nobody wants to be on the hit list. Um, the, the, the biggest thing, um, as a citizen, an average consumer, I can't home grow. There is no, there are no seeds for sale out here. There are no clones for sale. Um, you know, plenty of weed, but uh, uh, no opportunities for your average day Joe. Type is person. that how it is in Colorado? Is Colorado only medical home grow or or only medical care grow or giver home grow? No, you can grow. Every person can grow six plants, three veg, three non veg, and then. Um, you can have that up to 12 in your home. So if there's two residents in your home, you can have six veg, six non-veg. If you had a and medical license. That was, uh, that was, that's kind of like how a lot of your uh, prosecutions are in, the, uh, in the marijuana space in Colorado are going now. I mean, I read a newsletter that there was this huge operation of home grow exporting. Yep. 
Yeah, they used to allow a lot more. Like I was saying, 99 plants, uh, just based on what your doctor's recommendation was. And if it was up to date, that's what you could have. And But now they're trying to cut back more um, <coughs> officers, making sure people are up to date on their doctor's recommendation. And so I think because it was kind of so much was allowed before and that they're scaling back, not everyone's informed totally about what the law is and about what they can have in their home and so um they have officers coming in and then sometimes they they, do they just have like uh, adult use home grow or is it all medical home grow um you yeah you can have recreational home grow or medical so you can have doctor's recommendation for more or every person can have six i do have an interesting case i wanted to talk about because um you can have it, you can, it can be outside, but only if it's in an enclosed lock space or it has to be inside. And so we've, I've had cases in Denver, um, you know, just people in their 40s, you know, late 40s. They've got mansions, beautiful neighborhoods in Denver. Um, they have a tomato garden and they've got four plants back there. Uh, and we had a case where the officers came in, they searched, they cut down the plants, they weighed them wet said they weighed 19 pounds oh my god and so that so the woman was arrested charged with a felony for intent with possession to distribute because 19 pounds is more than a regular person would use to consume um and for cultivation because it wasn't legal because it wasn't in an enclosed lock space even though it was in her gate that was about six feet high and the gate was locked because it wasn't enclosed overhead um she was charged and then and then what they do in denver they used to do i haven't seen it much more but they condemn the house as a public nuisance oh shit Uh, yeah (laughs) for four plants wow yeah they put a nuisance sign on their front door they did this to this couple on trick-or-treat night so oh my god in their neighborhood public shaming you see that's what we have yeah. there you go that's that morality that i'm used to seeing yeah <laughs> and then they have to you know enter their house has to be on probation basically with but they don't probation. confiscate the house they just condemn it and say it's a nuisance well we tried to fight it um and if they have probable cause to say that it's a nuisance then um they can evict the couple from their home until you go to basically trial oh my god kick you out of your own home like that you own that it's not a rental it's your names on the title and kick you out of your own home for how long um until you have the trial so it could be a couple weeks we didn't we settled before that you know the couple didn't want to see that happen but none of these cases have really been tested much in denver this denver nuisance law because it's so extreme. I mean, we were in front of the judge. The just the judge described it as draconian. Wow, that's yeah. nice to have, though. I mean, like it's nice to have that kind of sympathy from the bench, but at the same time, it sucks that that's yeah. in your law. Yeah. So wow, so many I've questions. Seen less and less of it, but because people have been fighting it, but it's still a mechanism that's in place for them to be able to use. See, um, and that's for recreation, right, Abby? What's that? No, that was for recreational use for that for that couple, right? Yeah, yeah. But if she would have had them, if she would have had it in a greenhouse, it would have yeah. been legal. Mm-hmm. But see, my, my thing is, in here in Washington, we're we're trying to get the home grow option at least put on the books. Um, and you have a lot of criteria for the home grow option, but uh, for us, we're we're just trying to tell uh, our biggest argument is it's going to be complaint driven. You know, just like now, people are home growing, uh, things are going to be complaint driven. Is that how it's going on with you? Like, do, do they have an asshole neighbor that decide like, hey, those plants are not tomato plants. I'm yeah. calling you in. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I think that's how it works. Mm-hmm. Like but the, you never the, know the PTA, like that bitch Susie over there. Yeah. <laughs> or their home backs up to an alley and they stand on a, a the bed of a truck to peek over the alley, um, over the fence. Neighbors are terrible people. Yeah, you can't really, uh, yeah, you can't know who's all around you all the time. Too. Now, for your, your guys' limitation, though, from that 99, because I know you guys, it was crazy. Like some yeah. people were like 400 plants. But at the same token, you, you have patients fighting this rule because some real sick people need 100 plants. Like, they are just pure extract people, pure pico, which requires 
it requires yeah. a lot, you know, for a pound, you know, for for an ounce of uh, oil, you know, you need a pound, let's say. So, you know, there are people who need 99 plants. What, what, what's being done about that? Yeah. So I think um, if your town allows it, you can have up to 24 um, in your residence, which was the new change. Doctors okay. can recommend, doctors can recommend more. I think doctors have started just to recommend less, but there are those patients out there who totally need salves or lotions or edibles um, for, to treat serious medical conditions. And this medicine changes their lives. Yeah. And, and yeah, so that is difficult for them that they're limited to that amount. Um, and, P and they have fought. I mean, I think there are challenges to that limitation for the 24. You know, it's amazing. I think it's, it's okay. Oh, I was just going to say, but it is written into that law, that limit on the 12 and the limit on the 24, that the first, if you have a doctor's recommendation for more, um, the first offense is a petty offense. And then the second, I think, is a, is a misdemeanor fine. And so it's written in to try to educate people about the law, but I haven't necessarily seen it played out that way. Because if your if your doctor's rec is expired by even a day, then um, then that protection doesn't apply. Sure, it's mm -hmm. all of a sudden now you're not sick anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we argue your debilitating medical condition never expires. Yeah, unless it's been proven to expire. Mm -hmm. Oh man, it's it's just unfortunate. I think we've gotten to where we're at with legalization because of sick people, but now because of recreational. Sick people are tired of showing up to the Capitol or whatnot, yeah. you know? Uh, it's not an option for a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, and they really spearheaded this fight um, in Colorado. And yeah, now it's um, all, now it's a lot about recreational and about the regulations that come out from them and about the business structures. And yeah, I, I do think that they get tired of it. Yeah. Yeah, but the business is pretty cool. <laughs> the business is cool. <laughs> well, like you're yeah. saying, Tom, so is watching this whole process is a slow, uh, painful, educational uh, on our system. You know, uh, if I didn't have to try and get this home grow, and if I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have no uh, understanding of the Senate, the House. You know, I thought one bill goes through, we're good to go. But uh, only in Nebraska. Yeah, <laughs> unilateral, right? Or. It's the, it's the Lance Armstrong of the state governments. It's got one nut. <laughs> so do you think you're close in Washington? No. Well, it, so now it's hanging up second year in a row in a committee. Uh, you know, and the irony is it's, it's a Democratic-led committee, which you would think they'd be all about the social justice and reform and getting it all correct. But yeah. each time there's just somebody who they're afraid they, they use either the federal laws against it. Like, you know, as soon as we – Legalize home grow, they're going to crack down on us. But seven years deep into this industry, uh, uh, you know, it's got its infrastructure. People are paying their bills and, and living right. You know, I don't think the zombie apocalypse is going to happen as soon as I get a right to do something. Uh, as a matter of fact, it'll benefit the state because now you got a new product of freaking tax clones and seeds. Well, that's, and then right there, you're preaching to Illinois choir because, I mean, they're a broke state. They're a state that had uh, outflows of people year after year, the shittiest roads that I've ever seen. I mean, like I just got back from Wisconsin a couple of weeks ago. You're driving in Wisconsin as normal and then you get across the state line and it's just like open holes and just burn out everything. It's like, oh, back in Illinois. Yeah, they need this. Illinois needs it. Iowa needs it. Iowa. Iowa is so far behind, though, because Iowa, like I, I reviewed their hemp law and Iowa is almost as bad as Indiana. And I just don't think that they're going to make any change anytime soon because it's Iowa's culture to be very, very conservative. Yeah, I think as long as there's a Republican governor, nothing will happen there. And who knows if they I think a Democratic governor would have to run on that for it to well, really get as much. As much as I want to say Democrat, Republican, it's just so ironic that uh, Darth Vader's leading the legalization with uh, McConnell, you know? 
Yeah, but uh, like he's he's okay. such a shit. I mean, like, but like when it comes to hemp, he's your shit. But then as soon as you make the cleavage between, oh, okay, well, I'm glad that you like these other 112 cannabinoids. Have you heard about Delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol? Oh, that stuff's for hippies. No, sir. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, him and Obama both have uh, grandfathers that were slave owners. So that's, I don't know if you heard that, guys. I did not. Oh, that's some start, no shit, dumb shit he said. But hey, uh, I do have to go. Break's ending for me. I got to go back to work. Hey, and I wanted to thank Abby for coming on the show and for discussing the state of the art in California, I'm sorry, Colorado's uh, marijuana market. And, you know, come back on and then give us a, a report in a few more months about where you guys are at. Yeah, this has been great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for working with my technical difficulties. And yeah, I'd love to come back on. Should be awesome. easier next time. <laughs> yeah, it should be. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. All right.